All right, so there's 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 enough of a live studio audience for me to say it's a live studio audience. So I'm going to do an in, the existential intro in five, four, three, two. This is Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Existential, welcome to the first episode of 2021, and um, we're doing this in front of a live studio audience, virtual studio audience, and it is also um, one that is different, right? Because we planned to do uh, a podcast with my friend Jen Kinney, who you guys have heard many times. In fact, she was the second ever guest on the podcast. And what we planned to do was to flip it, where I actually get out of the driver's seat of my podcast and Jen drives the podcast and asks me questions. And we will do that in a moment. But the day that we're recording this podcast is the day after... Um, we all witnessed the most, um, I don't know, one of the most traumatizing things I have ever witnessed um, in my lifetime as we watched a group of probably largely white supremacists storm the Capitol building, scale the outside of it, break the glass uh, on the outside, get inside, sit at the desk of elected officials with their feet on their desk, taking selfies, leaving notes, threatening violence, having Molotov cocktails and pipe bombs and rifles and guns. Four people died. Um, I think I covered everything with the exception of the fact that after it was all over, no, I didn't cover the fact that this was all incited by the president of the United States, who people keep insisting is a, at least I should say evangelicals keep insisting, is a, a, a character of high moral value. And then lastly, um, after it was all said and done, we have witnessed white folks on social media and who were there. Now, I hope you're sitting down for this. I know a lot of people listen to podcasts while they're working out. Some people listen while they're driving. You might listen while you're making food or clean up the kitchen, whatever you're doing. So I want you to stop what you're doing if you can safely do so right now, okay? Because what I'm about to say is it should put you back on your heels and cause you to feel some sort of like, what the hell? And what the hell is not even strong enough? But I just, I'm, I'm going to, just in case your kids are in the car. Um, after it was all said and done, White people who were present in D.C., who flew across the country, I know one of them, who got on an airplane, put on a MAGA mask, sang the national anthem, and flew across the country to be there. Some of those folks with a straight face claimed that this was all started, incited, and carried out by Antifa. Antifa. The same Antifa that was blamed for the violence in 
um, during the Black Lives Matter protest, during the summer after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, the same Antifa that was blamed for that violence is somehow also inciting violence at a Trump rally where we witness, we, like if, we, if, we had our t- if you had your television on, if you've been on social media, you have seen the images of these people, and you're going to tell me that these Karens and Kyles that we saw are Antifa. Okay. So anyway, that that means it. that's the setup, Jen. I'm sorry. I like I didn't mean to say that much. As I as I start talking about it, I I'm a, my Enneagram seven and eight converge to share emotionally and angrily at the same time, and I just can't stop it. I'm just like I'm witnessing myself say it, and I just I can't stop. So I want I want you to you know chime in, be able to say Happy New Year. By the way, Happy New Year, everybody. Um, which I think you can say till December if you've not seen someone. If I haven't seen you all year and it's December and I say Happy New Year, I think it's appropriate. But that's just me. Jen, the floor is yours. <laughs> well, I wasn't um, I wasn't prepared for this in this no. sense. I Here's my Enneagram 8 and 7, and everything in my brain is profanity at this point. And for yesterday, sure. watching things unfold. Um, and, and it was just, it was an interesting time because for my children, they're 10 years old, mm-hmm. they got to take part in this whole process of elections and so on and watch it. And we started with that first debate between Trump and Biden. And that was an absolute nightmare. And my mm-hmm. heart breaks for the fact that my kids mm-hmm. had their first experience watching a presidential debate And that was their first experience. And then yesterday, I gathered them around for their civics lesson to look at the joint session. And we tuned in right around when Mitch McConnell was speaking. And then I believe, uh, all I remember was McConnell and then Cruz, because Cruz just kind of made me see red and rage. And I'm like, okay, keep it under wraps. And then I'm on Twitter, and on Twitter is where I saw the first uh, issue with with the Capitol being breached. And I was waiting for it, and then CNN starts covering it. My kids are watching this, and I'm just like, I spent yesterday somewhat glued to the television, so to speak, and not at all saying, how is this happening? Not at all surprised by any of this, and quite frankly, ridiculously pissed off at any of the people who are in office in this government who have said, I can't believe this happened. Oh my goodness, what have we come to? You know, and clutching their pearls and everything. It's like, you guys, this is exactly what we have been screaming into a void about for years. Mm -hmm. We have been watching this, and for these people in this intense cognitive dissonance to sit back and say, oh, these were Antifa. This is all, you know, like this is some kind of shock. It's like, guys, have you not been on Twitter? Have you not followed the president on Twitter and read the threads? Have you not been on like the the, the Proud Boys Twitter pages? Have you not been on the QAnon Twitter pages? No, clearly, maybe not. Either that or they're so enmeshed in it that they can't see the forest for the trees, you know, mm-hmm. but 
There's no surprise. This is exactly what they've been talking about. I have been trying to get people to answer me for weeks and weeks now who have been saying, oh, just wait until the 6th. It's all going to go down. You just wait. Something big's going to happen. It's like, okay, what, what's going to happen? Well, this is what happened. And then to turn around and try to play it off like this was Antifa. Like, so you, really? had people, you had people actually that you know saying, like, saying wait till the 6th, something big is going to happen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's Mm. been in all the threads. And you know, like, you can tell who's part of, like, Q and Proud Boys and all of this. And and they've just been whispering, uh, but not because I'm... I'm a hack on Twitter. It's not like I'm in the dark web or anything. I'm just kind of floating (laughs) along the surface. And I'm seeing this. Wow. So, no, this was not a surprise. This was precisely why so many people voted against... Donald Trump in this election because they knew this was going to happen and they saw this coming and they voted against it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned your kids. And as I watched this yesterday, that was one of my first thoughts because I had the TV on. Uh, my kids were outside the room you know, and I don't have kids, kids, you know what I mean? I've, I, my youngest is 15 years old, you know? So, um, but she's very sensitive to this stuff, very into it. And yesterday she posted on her Instagram about this. And, you know, you have that moment where you're like, I, I, I'm proud of you, but also this is not what I wanted for you. Like, I, I'm proud that you are socially aware, but I'm sad that what you have to be socially aware about is this shit. Is that like for black and brown folks, what you what we know in our bones about why all of that happened is that this is white supremacist so last ditch effort to keep america from being equal equitable and inclusive this is their last ditch, ditch effort to ensure that there are more george floyds i heard even that like they were mocking and 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 uh um what's it called they were sort of reenacting the george floyd incident yesterday there was a noose out there yesterday next to a cross and jesus save signs so what we are witnessing in front of us is the history right there the undertones of all of this is antebellum slavery it's jim crow It's eugenics. We heard eugenics from the president when he said, you are very fine people and we love you. Okay. So these are things that like, if you're not, if you don't know history, if you've not done any research, you don't understand like how we got here. These are benign statements, but they are flagrantly racist and inciting of what we saw yesterday. And even in his video where he comes out and says like his, his supposed go home had all these dog whistles that continues to incite over bullshit-ass QAnon claims that the election was stolen. And I just, like, I find myself, Jen, um, as a parent, hurt, as a person who grew up in the Christian tradition, completely outraged. Because I feel like Christians did this. Like, I, I don't I don't look at, at Trump and, and, and like feel like 
I can lay all of this on him because he can't, as, as our friend Andre Henry always talks about with social change and, 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 you know, nonviolent protests, nonviolent struggle is that people like Trump need the cooperation of the audience. People like Tucker Carlson need the ratings to continue to be able to say the shit that he says on Fox. Like, it's not like these people are in a vacuum without the cooperation of people in the largest group of people cooperating with them, whether they do it um, intentionally or unintentionally, are Christians. And that makes me so mad <laughs> to think about. Yeah, I've heard it said that um, he's not the cause, but he's a symptom, right? And very true. He is a symptom. And all of these people who have been whipped up into, you know, and emboldened to go to D.C. and to walk in to the Capitol building with such just nonchalance and like brazen arrogance, no masks to, to yeah, you know, no, cover yeah, their face. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is a federal crime. How yeah. confident are you in your right to mm -hmm. just walk in, face the police? And then I haven't seen anything on this since seeing a video, actually, that Andre shared that showed police officers letting them in initially. Do you know anything more about oh, yeah, that? I, I saw that video. I, I had conversations with, with a friend of mine yesterday um, about it. And and that's what's interesting about that is they there is a alliance that police officers have with one another. Mm-hmm. There is a initiative on the docket right now. I think it's a George Floyd Act that is like a significant police reform act that that vice president-elect and vice and president-elect uh, Biden are like planning to present, right? So I see the thing that scared me was like, what's to stop the National Guard, the police, from going, nah, we're with them. Like, I don't mean to sound like an alarmist. I don't mean to, to, to say things that are like, oh, my, to, to scare, like this podcast is not meant to scare you, but it's the truth. It's the, it's, 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 I want you to be aware of like what is happening and what's to stop them from doing that. So it doesn't shock me at all that like the police would be taking selfies, that the police would be letting people in, that when the National Guard comes in, Con contrasted with when the National Guard showed up for the Black Lives Matter rallies in D.C., when they were in full milita military garb with masks over their face, it looked like they were ready for a full-on war. You, we watched yesterday as the National Guard escorted people down the stairs so gently. I watched them hold the hands of this white woman as they walked her down the stairs, just, just like, the, like, like this guy was taking his mom to church is what it looked like. And you, can't, you contrast that with the images we've seen of black folks and how their encounters with the police are when they're, they're just, they're not, they're not, they haven't attacked the Capitol building. They're just on the street. We saw people in, in, up in Portland this summer being, they, they just were taken off the street by a secret police that were just standing there. 
and they're taken into custody. I have a friend who was arrested in, in, in Los Angeles for like walking in line with protesters. And they literally, the, the LAPD would literally not let them go home. And what we watched yesterday was a bunch of white folks and we saw white privilege on full display that they were so gentle that the National Guard came in. I, I've heard, I don't, I can't confirm this, so whatever fact checkers want to fact check it, they can. I've heard that, that they came in unarmed initially, which is, it's incredible the amount of restraint that law enforcement in this country can show when the people that they are encountering are not black, brown, or Muslim. Yeah. I have kind of a personal question to ask you, Um, something that I've been thinking about. So as I've been watching this over the last day and just trying to like process the experience myself, what does this mean for this nation? You know, and, and one of the questions that I have is how do I best engage this as a white woman seeking to be a co-conspirator? Because one of the things that I've heard from my black and brown friends is that this moment unfolding on television and on social media is incredibly triggering and incredibly painful. And so like today, I wanted to share a meme, for example, that kind of was four pictures that compared and contrasted uh, this is what happened yesterday versus this is what happened in Ferguson versus what happened in, you know, any, in Portland and any number of places. And I decided not to show it because I had to a trigger warning. And I wondered even in that, like, am I contributing by sharing those things to this idea of like black trauma porn and, and just kind of wondering like in this situation, this is unprecedented. How can I best show up? How can other people who are seeking to do this work of justice and racial justice best show up in uh, public forums? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question, man. And you know, I, I, my initial thought as you were talking about it is I, I saw someone, there was some white woman on Twitter yesterday and, and, and I, and it's someone I follow and it's, it wasn't like, a you know, somebody that's um, out there being a, a dumbass. Um, but she, she, she retweeted something that a person of color said about being tired of, you know, this, this kind of stuff, right. Being tired of the, the double standard, being tired of whatever. And, and she said, same, and and I and I thought to myself, I'm not I'm not I'm not a Twitter policeman. I don't do that. But if this were a friend of mine who I knew, I would say I would probably not say same, because it's not the same. Like you might, you 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 we're all like of course allies and co-conspirators and whatever terminology we use for white folks that have joined the struggle for black you know and and the movement for black lives, like yeah great. But it's not the same. The stakes are not the same. The existential crisis is not the same. The feelings are not the same. The experience is not the same. Jen, you and I have very similar views about faith and social justice and equity and race and anti-racism. But if you and I walk into a store together, if you and I are pulled over by the police together, if you and I both walk down the street armed, 
we're going to be treated differently. So while we may have same, the same ideology and the same thoughts and, and, and want the same thing, it's not the same. So I would say that to engage in this work is to engage recognizing that though I feel strongly about this, I don't feel the same as black folks. And that is a tension, that is a nuance, that is a messy sort of complication. Um, you and I have actually talked about this in, in sort of an, in another way because there's there are there are black women in the world like she who we do not name on my podcast or on Existential Sunday, but she is black. And what? How then do we? How, how would you, as a white woman who is an advocate for equality and anti-racism, and you know has done a, a shit ton of work? How would you engage a Candace Owens, right? It, it's that's where that's where this thing becomes very dicey and messy, and where you lean into principles. This is a, a, a proverb, I think it is, that a just man keeps his word even to his own hurt. That like if you are a person who has a moral center and really values something, right? That like even if it causes you pain, you hold to that thing. So even if it means that I have to let Candace Owens walk on the dumb stuff she says as a white person, because I value the fact that she's a black woman who has a different, who feels this thing different than me, then I got to do that. That's, that's to me where, where I think I would fall on this is like live with the principle of it's not the same and whatever happens in conversation and dialogue, you go from there. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, because I've been curious. It's like as my Facebook friend group grows and as it grows in diversity, I have had to show up very differently. And I haven't had to, but I am. And I'm choosing to and I'm learning to. But that in itself really shows me that privilege that I've had to just say whatever the hell I want to say, whenever I want to say it, however I want to say it, without any thought or regard for how it would impact somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been, you know, just trying to be very, like, careful and mindful uh, and wondering, you know, like, how do I go and get my people when I can't really physically them right now? And so much of this exchange has to happen on social media or, you know, these platforms. How do I do that well? So that's something that I'm really trying to lean into and, and figure out at this point. And I don't know if there's one answer to that, but yeah. it's just something yeah. I've been thinking about. Well, and by the way, if you've not, if you're listening to this on uh, the podcast or you're watching this live with the, the live studio audience, this virtual, virtually live studio audience, if you've not heard the um, the Get Your People episode of Existential, uh, the first conversation that Jen and I had uh, on, about all of this, some of what uh, we're talking about now, th- there's a, a lot of great dialogue about that. If you are a white person who's who has a similar question, it's like, what do I do in times like these when I know that the undertones of everything we saw is white supremacy, is racism, is anti-blackness. How do I engage? How do I engage my friends, my family, um, people on Facebook? How do how do I show up for my black and brown brothers and sisters um, and 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 not be a burden to them? I think there's a lot of stuff in that conversation we had about getting your people that I think would be really helpful. Yeah. So, do you think now might be a good time to slide into? Happy New Year. It's 2021. Yeah. We're seven days into this 
And I had such high hopes for 2021. <laughs> <laughs> but we still got that. We still got time. Right? Yeah. So how are you doing? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, aside, aside, I'm going to lay aside to some degree yesterday. I don't, I don't think I can fully lay it down because we're in it now, right? Yeah. But I, I, like you, came in 2021 as I come into every year with hopes, but they're more personal than they were for everything because lost in all of this is the fact we're still living through a global pandemic that is actually getting worse right now. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. Um, We have a vaccine on the way, which is awesome. But like, even in that there's, you know, there's, that's a whole nother hurdle that we have to get through with vaccines, people's ideas about vaccines and strong feelings for and against. Um, So we, we have a long way to go with a global pandemic that is, a significant existential crisis, which had moved to the back burner, the fact that there's like a, you know, climate change that threatens the very existence of human life on Earth, right? And credible sources were reporting that reporting that there were aliens among us, and nobody's talking about it. So, like, there's, like, it's just, is this a true story? Or is this I, no, I, pr- I promise you, I saw from people I trust that there were aliens among us. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't really go deeply into it because it was too much. It's too much, right? Like when, like when the pandemic first started and there was murder hornets. It's like I just don't have. I can't. I can't with. I can't go on on top of all of it that there's hornets out there that could kill us. That being said, I entered 2021 thinking that there was. It was going to be a shit show until about the fall, right? That with the pandemic and things like that. I I I expected that. You know, that the president would not go quietly. I expected that his supporters would not go quietly. Um, but in the midst of that, just feeling a sense of hope that, like, I actually wanted the institutions to burn down. I actually wanted them to. I wanted, and, and I said, there's still institutions that I think need to be completely overhauled. And I think, as I think what we're witnessing right now is that the things that we trusted, the things that like we thought were impenetrable, um, the, the things we thought could never happen in our lifetime have all happened, which brings us all to this desperate, desperate place where we need something that transcends our individual sense of strength. And that whether you are a person that believes in God or you just don't believe in God's existence, there's still a... Right now, I think all of us looking for some kind of savior, something to like lift us out of this darkness, out of this mayhem. And I am hopeful because of that, because I think when people reach that place, there it there can be great unity, while there can also be great division, but I also think there can be great unity. And and so I'm feeling a sense of like hope and even a little bit of excitement. Um, about about what's what's to come and the newness that's to rise out of this chaos. I mean, can I say this actually? Because because this is actually this is for anyone who's you know who pays attention to the Bible. Like this is how the story begins with chaos. Like this is what the Genesis poem, Genesis chapter one, the very beginning, of, which you know of 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 the our version of the bible whatever but that story begins with this chaos and the creator hovering over that chaos like this 
the the, the creator's there with it, right? The, the creator's like there, sees it, knows what's happening, and then begins to remake the world is what we see in Gen between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is a remaking of the world. It's not what we see with like the the you know the Adam and Eve and the animals and the world and the water. It's not a, a first time. It is a remaking of the world. And so we have that as a backdrop for us as we enter into a 2021 out of this chaos to go, you know, part of the divine story, again, for those of you who believe in, in higher power, if you don't, maybe this is just poetic to you, but part of the divine story is that out of chaos, the creator reaches into that to form something new. And that's encouraging to me. That is good. I really appreciate that. I, it's so hard because I realize as I'm sitting here, like when I had plans to sit down with you and talk to you, we didn't have the chaos that was going on in DC and it feels so heavy and so different. But if I try to think back to a couple of days ago and my entry into the new year, I also, I just, I really wanted to grab on to the hope that a new year could be new, you know, mm -hmm. that I could really start it and, and focus on some personal goals and things. Um, and despite, you know, a lot of people who are like, oh, screw everybody who thinks that this is somehow magically new. You know, I'm like, hey, I totally get it and I respect where you are, but I so desperately need to have like this sense of um, of hope really mm -hmm. uh, going into the new year. So, yeah. yeah. Man. Well, and everything that's new eventually becomes old, you know, and I think some of that actually has to do with us. Like, I mean, you know, if I, when I was growing up, we, um, my dad, I can remember a couple of times getting a new car. And he liked, he loved Lincoln Town cars. And one time he got this gold Lincoln Town car, put some gold trim on it, whatever, right? And, but every time he'd get a new car, and I think there was like three or four times when I was little, my parents would say, there's not going to be any eating in this car. Like, you're not, we're not going to eat in this car, right? And then I carried that to my kids as we got new cars. Like, okay, kids, we're not eating in this car. Because while it's new, you want to keep it new. You don't want you don't want old French fries with hair on them in between the seatbelts thing. Like you don't you don't want that, right? You don't want wrappers and 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 orange stains on the seats. You you want it to stay new, and so you you like kind of you behave differently. You give different boundaries. You give different like marching orders for your group. And I think that like once it gets old. You, you less you don't really care as much but i also think it's not just so much that it gets old i think some of it is that you don't care as much and so it gets old it's not that the old comes first and then you care less i think your care your care less comes first and then it becomes old and i think we are living in a time of so much pessimism right people are very pessimistic and with with good reason to be because there's been a lot of shit that has happened to go why should i be hopeful and you can, to some degree, even though there's a, you know, it's, there's a lot of sameness in this new year. If you came into this new year with a bunch of debt, you still got a bunch of debt. We came into this new year with a global pandemic and racism and xenophobia and homophobia um, and all of the tensions that exist and the, the, the things that we have yet to discover will be hard. But 
it's still a sense of newness that I can cling to if I want to and let that sense of newness affect my behavior, my view, and my hope. And I think that um, we all have an opportunity to do that right now. You know, and I think that's why the new year, because, I mean, obviously years are constructs and time is a construct, and we all know that. But, like, I think part of the celebration of the new year is something in all of us that wants there to be better and new and fresh and brighter and, you know, all those things we want. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Well, and can I just say, like, can we celebrate for a moment that Georgia delivered? Right. I mean, for all the shit that we are dealing with and all of the darkness, and all the things that are coming to the surface, there is a lot of change happening. And to Mm. me, like, I honestly, I went to bed that night, like I did the annoying robo texts and calls and all the things for the NAACP in Georgia for weeks. I mean, I was, I think you were one of the people that kept texting and calling me and I kept saying, I kept texting back. I don't live in Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was, I was at least good about, you know, deleting those numbers, but I went to bed that night. Just like, I don't think it's going to happen. I know that traditionally what we tend to see is a balance. So if somebody votes for a Democrat president and maybe they're in the middle, they may vote for Republicans in their local elections and vice versa. But waking up to the news that Reverend Warnock won was like, whoa, wait a second. Something is changing. Something is happening. And I had absolutely no hope that the second person would go as well. Right. And then that happened. And so it's like we can celebrate the fact that right now and I'm not I'm not a person who believes that politics is a solution for much. I understand that it's important. And yet there's just something that feels profound about this as a statement against what Trump ushered in and what he fomented, created and has essentially, you know, put into the atmosphere, I do feel hope about that. For sure. And I, you know, I asked uh, Michael McBride a couple of days ago after the, you know, after the Georgia, you know, uh, runoff was concluded and, you know, uh, Warnock and I forget, I can't say the dude's name. Had Asana won. or Asana. Yeah. 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 After they had won. And I said, what's next? And he was like, governance, accountability, right? Governance and mm-hmm. accountability. We have like this, it, it, it's like you said, it's not like I believe that any one person in office or one party in office is the end-all, be-all solution. But there is something to be said for having a grown-up in office. There is something to be said for having someone in office who you can hold accountable, who you yeah. who you at least feel like you can, who's who's not a petulant child who's trying to become a dictator, like to have an adult in office does matter, and it does matter what a president says and how they carry themselves. We saw that yesterday. And for all of the folks who continued to say that it didn't matter what he said, didn't matter what he tweeted, his rhetoric is just rhetoric, oh, you know, those are just words. Like, I heard that from pastors, and I was like, don't you use words for a living? 
Like, don't you every Sunday stand up in a pulpit and and spend all week crafting your words in such a way so that you can convince people that this thing that you're talking about is the truth? But you're going to sit here and tell me that from the highest office in our country that the words that person says don't matter? You don't think that guy who went into Nancy Pelosi's office with his face uncovered and took a selfie didn't feel empowered by the words of the president? You think he felt at some level, some sense of, I'll be good because the president, like, you know, if he's, he's got my back. You don't think he felt like, I remember when Barack Obama was elected president the first time and I was living in Georgia and I remember like this, this, this sort of comedic sentiment amongst black folks was like, I ain't going to work tomorrow because we got a black president. It was like, there was like this sense of like, now there's a, now there's, there's one of us in office. We are now emboldened. We like to do things and be things. And it was a joke, but it, there's something to that joke that's very real is that you feel a sense of someone has my back, right? What white supremacist, what um, um, the Proud Boys and the Ku, the Ku Klux Klan has been saying and feeling for the last four years is that that guy has our back. And you can say if you want to, that Donald Trump is not a racist. But racist people feel like he has their back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're comfortable. I mean, and and you go to the fact that when he said stand by and stand, like stand down and stand by or whatever he said, the Proud Boys the next day were putting out merchandise with the statement on it. And if you spend any amount of time, again, on social media looking at, okay, how do these people respond when he says something? I can't tell you the number of people I've read who are just like, aye, aye, and, you know, like giving military language, saying that they're standing by and ready to go and fight for Trump and all of the stuff. And it's just like, mm. this is scary, scary shit. Yeah, and we saw yesterday exactly what we have been talking about and warning people about for a very long time now. Yeah. And you and I talked the other day uh, and it was, you, you named something as we were talking, cause we were talking about like, you know, relatives or friends and, and like, and, and, and the things that they don't see. And you named it blindness. And it's so yeah. resonant with me, right? When you talked about this, this, this blindness, because I think, I think many of us have experienced this where you are looking at a person in their face and you're talking to them and you're sharing things that are just like, this is like, I mean, this is, this is, how do you not see this? And And again, it's like, I know we're all human beings and I have a perspective, but certain things like, that wasn't Antifa yesterday. When you look at a person who can blame Antifa for that and you go, how do you not see this? It, when you named it blindness, my, my perspective on all of this shifted a little bit to think, oh, like, I don't have the power to heal the blind. Like, hmm. that's, that's not my department. I can't do that. This is why yeah. the the... the the sacred text of the Bible, when you look at like the prophecies of, of, of Jesus, right? When Jesus reads in Isaiah that the blind will see that, that like there's this power that God's chosen one 
would have to help the blind to see. I'm like, I don't know if that's something that I have the power to do ultimately. And even if I'm wielding that power, it's only because the creator, like this divine energy is allowing me a moment to tap into something that's beyond me as a human being. Right. So that, that kind of just was liberating, but also was like, Oh, like I don't, I don't need to like be in these, when I know when I, when I can see when it becomes evident to me that somebody's blind, I need to go, Oh, I'm either going to be endowed with some supernatural beyond me ability and power to help them see, or I need to walk away because it ain't my, I don't have that power. You know what I mean? That's just how, what I thought. And, you know, other people may have that thoughts. That, but that's just what good. I thought about it. Yeah, no, that is really good. Because the thing that I was talking about, you know, and I was trying to relate to my own experience, like as a, I don't know, let's say 34 year old white woman kind of waking up to whiteness and starting to learn about the context and the construct of race and then mm-hmm. slowly learning and getting to a point where it's like, you just, you can't unsee certain things. Mm-hmm. And I felt like scales had fallen from my eyes. Like I really felt like, and, and I don't know that I would claim that, you know, on some spiritual level or anything, but I do think there is something to what we're seeing with people right now where it's just like, man, you are absolutely like, it's like, checked out from reality uh reason doesn't seem to really work they're not very willing to engage and so you kind of give me this other piece of this because what of course i always bang my head up against the wall on is spending a lot of time and energy having conversations with people who aren't there in good faith right um so thank you for that again because there's still that part of me that's like I need to get my cousins and I need to have these conversations. And that is very true. But I also Mm -hmm. have to learn to discern better where to put my energy in those things. Yeah. Right. And and I, and I think I remember when I, the first time I started like uh, saying stuff like this, that like, you know, preserve your energy, uh, conserve your energy, take care of you. Um, And I, you know, said that message broader than just black folks, because that is a message black folks really need to hear, you know, black folks that are, that are um, involved in anti-racism, whether it's education or just social movement, we got to preserve our energy for sure. That's why I'm golfing so damn much. I golf all the time for that reason. And while I am, you know, I feel somewhat blessed to be able to, to spend my time doing that. I, that's why, because I have to, like, this is not an ordinary job. <laughs> like, this is not like when you are advocating for your very life, and the life of your children and grandchildren on a regular basis and also carrying around the, you know, if the police pull me over, if, um, you know, what is this person going to say? And, and oh, this racist comment was made to me. Uh, this racist comment was made about me and I heard about it. Like, you're waiting through all of that stuff. That's not normal. Nobody's supposed to have to live through that. Um, so you have to take care of yourself. But... Um, you know, and so when I made the statement, people were like, you know, you're letting white people off the hook. And I'm like, no, I'm, I don't think I'm letting them off the hook. I think the white folks that are involved in this work in good faith that are doing it for the right reasons know that the work is too important to stop doing it. 
right? If you're out there who's looking for a reason to let go that right there to get out of it, then of course you're going to find a loophole, but you're going to find a loophole anyway, mm-hmm. you know? But, but the folks that are like legitimately like trying to, to see the thing you're Jen, you're not trying to be right. Mm-mm. You're not like getting involved in an argument to prove how smart you are, how much, you know, how many articles you've read. You are contending for a better, more inclusive, more just, holistic, full of peace, preserving the planet world. And in doing so, that means there's an urgency that says, I don't have six hours to argue with the blind. Right. I have, I, if I see that there's a person who can be nudged, who is actually, even if they disagree with me, but they're like, they're, they're dealing from good faith. They're, they're, they're speaking from credible sources those folks I have time for because we need those folks. But these folks over here, deeply ingrained in QAnon and Parler, like what that the time spent on them is another six hours of the planet deteriorating and potentially another black or brown person being shot and killed. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. I think this would be a good time now, though, to switch to putting the mic on you. Would you agree with that? I thought the mic was on me, but <laughs> it sort of is. But I have, you know, I have a job to do here. I'm All supposed right. to All interview right. you. No, right. so so what season are we on here with existential at this We're point? We're still in podcast? season four right now. Okay, so season yeah. four. So you have over 50 episodes. And I figured that some of your listeners, all of your listeners really, would be interested in learning more about you and who you are. Hmm. And so one of the things that I want to ask you is, um, you know, we can write bios and put bios out and read those. But if you were to have to write your bio on the spot right now, like what would you want to communicate to people about who you are, what your passions are, and why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, gosh, that, that would take an hour. I, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to try to condense that all the way down to a couple of words, I guess. Sounds um, good. You know, I, who I am, um, I'm a husband and a dad. I feel like I deal from that place more than anything else. You know, like that's kind of what drives me. Um, it's it's also what, to, to be honest, what doesn't drive me. Like when I worked for these mega churches, I wouldn't be driven to be absent from the family. And so, you know, sometimes that's a, a, a sacrifice that, that a lot of larger organizations will ask you to make. And I just was never willing to do that. Um, and as, as for like why I write and speak and podcast and post on social media, the things that I share is because I do believe that um, because I come from a Christian tradition, I do believe that, you know, there's a responsibility that I have as somebody who does believe in the teachings and the life of Jesus. Like I do kind of, I I believe in that. Um, I feel a responsibility to contend for a better world wherever I see an opportunity to contend for one. Uh, And I've always kind of been a person that I didn't know how to name it when I was younger, but I would be frustrated to see things be unequal. Like it would, it would make me mad. Like I just, the the slightest injustices I'd just be pissed at. And then 
one day a friend of mine named for me, like, you know, uh, I hate injustice. And I'm like, yeah, I hate injustice too. And I think that's kind of this driving force for me is that when I see the scales off, and I think that's what drove Jesus, right? And so I think the more I began to lean into this sort of feeling that I have about injustice, I was like, oh, I, I share that with Jesus and Dr. King and Gandhi and Mother Teresa um, and, and any of the folks that we look up to, not that I name myself in that company. The point is that like any of us who are contending for a better world, we share that um, passion for justice with all of those people who've gone before us. And I, I feel like I owe it to them and to the Jesus I claim to follow to contend for a better world. Yeah, your podcast focuses a lot on issues of faith and justice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you talk a lot about deconstruction and decolonizing. And I'm really curious, like, what your journey was like. When did that really happen for you? And what was it that kind of spurred this on? Was it a specific moment? Or do you feel like this was something in the making over a long period of time? Yeah, I mean... I would say it's probably a long period of time. I think it's all like, I just finished not too long ago reading um, Rob Bell's Everything is Spiritual. And in that book, there's some fascinating ideas about the stuff that we're all made of and all that happens even before we emerge to life. You know what I'm saying? And so I think like, you know, one of the things he says early on in that book that just, I don't even know why it sticks with me. I guess I just get the poetry of it is that, this giant rock that we're on is moving at some ungodly speed. Where is it going? Like it's going somewhere, but where? And like, so I think like to with that in perspective, I go, you know, my life is going somewhere. It's been going somewhere since I was born, you know, and there all these twists, these twists and turns and moves and, and near misses and all those things that I don't think they're by accident. So I'd say it started years ago when I was, you know, a little kid, but I think most recently the most significant thing that led to deconstruction was probably my trip to Israel. I think I've mentioned this before on other podcasts, but uh, about four or five years ago I went to Israel. And to be there on that soil under that the sun there and just seeing all of those things that are, are thousands and thousands of years old because we don't have that in the United States. Nothing here is more than 200 and at least since we've been a nation, nothing here is more than about 260 years old. They're thousands of year old, thousands of years old. So that really resonated with me and put in perspective how young the United States is and also just kind of made me curious to know how we got where we are from there. And some of the some of our tour guides and some of the, the people who are born and raised Jewish the way that they talked, the ideas that they had, I was like, this is so different than my Western worldview, but yet what I believe came from here. So how did it get so different? And if there's like a dissonance between the way you view this thing in the East, where it came from, and the way I view it in the West, who's wrong? <laughs> like, how, Who drifted? It's not you that drifted. You started this. It's like if if, if we... I think about this now, like, uh, you know, being here in the United States, thinking about slavery and white supremacy and all those things. And I go, like, how much spiritual heritage, African spiritual spiritual heritage, do I not know? Because I never had a chance to lean into it. 
it was demonized before I ever had an opportunity to read about it. Mm. Right. And so, but I think even more so for Judaism and the Eastern um, way of thinking and being that led to our Western Christianity, like they're like, I, I imagine some of them look at us like, so you actually, you actually believe that you know better than us about our Messiah. Right, like you actually think you know better than we do about the God who who, who our forefathers followed followed around the desert. Okay, like so that trip to Israel was like triggering, and then I started reading. Uh, the first book I read, honestly, was was um, um, uh, what is the Bible by Rob Bell, and then at the back in the back of that book is like this catalog of books by scholars and theologians and um, anthropologists and um, you know, archaeologists. It just was like, it's amazing. And so I just started devouring everything I could about the Bible, about God. And interestingly enough, the, the, the anti-racism journey didn't spring from me reading a bunch of Dr. King or even Malcolm X or, you know, uh, learning a, bu a bunch of black history. It sprung from me really getting to the bare bones of what my faith was about, which is supposed to be justice. And when I started seeing that, I was like, uh, well, then I, then I really understood the brilliance of Dr. King. When I started like understanding how he would view scripture and then even had an appreciation for the brilliance of Malcolm X, though most of my life as a Christian, I was taught to demonize him or learn. Yeah. To. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this resonates a lot with me um, because for me in my deconstruction, it, I really did have to start deconstructing before I was really released on this anti-racism journey myself. And it took years and years to understand that. And I'm still learning about that. Reading Jamar Tisby's Color of Compromise helped a lot. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. avoided reading that for years because after I started really digging deeply into anti-racism stuff, I was angry with evangelicals and i didn't we like we didn't really have the language i wasn't having these conversations about deconstruction back then but i just knew they weren't safe they weren't open and it mm -hmm. was the antithesis of everything that i understood the gospel to be and it didn't make sense to me mm -hmm. um so yeah now one of the things that i wanted to talk to you about is your curiosity and this is something that we've talked about in the past is just like, have you really been a curious person all of your life? Because that seems a little like not evangelical, right? And I know that's your <laughs> your background. So yeah. have you always been a really curious person? I think I have been always been very curious. I'd, I'd be interested to ask my mom that question if I if she would say that I was curious as a kid. Um, I just uh, I. I always have whenever curious whenever I hear the word curious, I don't know how or why, but I always also hear curiosity killed the cat. Right? Because that's this term that was around when I was a kid. That like there was a dis there was a discouraging woven into the teaching instruction of of little kids about being curious, which I think is so stupid. Like and I think so I'm not sure if I was always as curious as I am now. But I will certainly say that it's one of the things that I cherish the most about life is the fact that we can be curious, you know, that like um, the, uh, the quote, the Matlocks from, uh, I think a couple episodes ago on the podcast, like 
the, the, the best question or the best thing you can say to someone is that's interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. Right. That, that, yeah. that sentence, right. That to, to validate a person's existence and experience and say, I'm curious, right. I, I want to know more. Even if, even if there are people who you are um, at odds with, sometimes I think you, the, the, the best thing for you is to maintain some curiosity and you'll learn some things. I had a question. I had a conversation with a, an elderly fundamentalist um, not too long ago and asking them about um, their journey and some of the things that they shared about their relationship or the, their, the relation, how they perceive their relationship with God. I was just kind of like, wow, like I would have never known if I didn't ask you, but I was also like, I, it, it kind of like helped me to see the and name some of the things that I go, I don't want that. Like, because they were basically after 70 plus years of living, still afraid that they could do something to disqualify themselves from, 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 you know, the fullness of God and potentially go to an eternally burning, suffering hell. And I'm like, after 70 plus years of service, man, that's sad. Like you actually like, and I'm just like, I, I understand how people arrive there and I just go, but when I when I when I curiously listen to someone as if I don't know the answers, as if I don't know what they're going to say, and I lean into what they're saying, I can hear it with fresh with newness. I can hear it with a newness that I didn't hear it with before, and it can really change things and, and give me a whole other perspective that I would have never never gotten. Yeah, I really appreciate that about your podcast. And as I've listened to it over the last, how long has it been, dude? So you and I recorded when in, in Ro, who was here in the live audience, I think. I don't know if he's still here or not. Um, but um, we, rec- you and me and Ro and Andre recorded um, the summer of, I think it was two, three summers ago. I don't know. I don't wow. remember that. Wow. It's been a while. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But just listening, and it, it always strikes me how curious you are and how interested you are in other people's stories and that has taught me to be more curious but also to crave that curiosity and um we went on a little family trip recently and i just i left that experience saying to my husband like it's astounding to me how like, I don't know the right word, the opposite of curiosity, but how not curious people were. And it really stood out to me how unwilling people seemed to be to even ask questions, you know, and to think about things. And I was actually talking to my mother-in-law, and I was telling you about this. Um, She is a double-mastered child therapist and does a lot of work in, you know, brain and neuroscience and trauma and all of this. And one of the things that she said was lack of curiosity leads to a shutdown in these neural pathways, in a sense. And people who are curious, people who are constantly open to learning and hearing from others and hearing stories, create new neural pathways. And I just thought it was so interesting to hear that from a neuroscience standpoint. But it made a lot of sense. And so she was talking about her concern and what she sees in certain people, particularly in this seemingly ever-divided nation that we live in, it, it just it feels like people are digging deeper and shutting down those neural pathways to growth. Um, 
So mm. Mm. I thought that was really poignant and interesting. Yeah, for sure. I, 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 thanks for sharing that because that's amazing to me to think about the fact that you can you can develop something new in your brain by being curious, and you can shut down newness by um, doubling down on your on your. Um, what I think is probably more hate-filled. I think love makes people curious. I think if you really do love, if you really hold love in your heart, if you really do um, want to contend for a better world and see there be more space for people, I think it's just a. Na- I think curiosity is sort of a natural byproduct of that. But I mean, anyway, Jen, I appreciate you like, you know, being willing to to do this episode with me and and kind of reverse the roles. And thank you to all of you who are watching or watch the live, this live recording of Existential. Um, and thanks to uh, all of you who subscribe, who um, have rated, reviewed the podcast, and continue to listen and tell all your friends about it. Thanks so much to all of you. Uh, and, and Jen, thank you for this moment where we contended for a better world through this conversation. Thank you. Grace and peace, everybody. Thank you.